You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Uh, coming in hot on a Monday. Hopefully everybody had a great weekend. I tell you what, man, I am jacked up. Uh, I did a run and gun on a new piece of property. I'm recording this on a Sunday. I was able to hunt Saturday after this storm system um, uh, came through. Really strong winds, rain. Uh, so I dropped down off the side of this ridge um, between a bedding area and the beginning of a staging area. And on the opposite side of this staging area was a clover field on one side and a cornfield on the other. And I saw a ton of deer moving. Um, I don't know what it is, but I feel that some of these bad weather days where most people would probably stay in the uh, timber or uh, stay at home on an early season hunt, especially high winds. Uh, now, the temperature didn't really drop. There was some precipitation, but the wind was really strong. So I got out of the wind and um, I had seen this in the past. So I decided, hey, I want to give this a try again. And I walked into a fresh property, fresh set, you know, first time in, best time in. And basically I wanted to hang a stand in a really good location for the rut. And so I got into the tree stand and before I could even start uh, setting up, I could see deer in the distance right in this little staging area and so I put the tree stand up brought my bow up I'm ready to go started sitting down and it was only a matter of probably 20 minutes 30 minutes and I had uh, a group of six does work by me and and they just kind of sat and munched on acorns and I had my my stand position such that I dropped off the ridge and my scent stream was blowing into a creek, right? And then on the other side of the creek was another piece of property. So I was about 60 yards from the creek to uh, where my tree stand was. But as the terrain kind of came down into this bottom where I considered this a staging area, the, the ridge kind of leveled off down into this bottom and then kind of wrapped around and as I was walking in 
I walked by some really good sign. Now, typically, I would have set up on that, but I decided I wanted to get down a little bit closer to this staging area in hopes that, you know, this was going to be a rut, you know, uh, a rut type stand for a later date. But I ended up getting there. I ended up uh, seeing a Oh, a handful of good deer. I had like a 120-inch uh, two-year-old, I think, lick the, my bottom stand where I, or my bottom uh, lone wolf stick where I had sprayed some nose jammer. And uh, that nose jammer stuff is kind of crazy because I think it does a really good job of, uh, as a cover scent, walking to the stand. It also does a really good job of, uh, you know, piquing their interest. So I've had a lot of deer come straight to the stand because of the way that stuff smells well anyway uh, i had a really good uh i had a really good you know two-year-old come through i had another three-year-old come through that was about oh 80 yards away from me a little higher up the ridge um i saw those six does i saw let's see three more does come through uh, two more really small like four corn bucks and then i'd say about 20 minutes before daylight out pops from this creek a man i'm gonna i'm gonna guess him at about 80 yards and he was probably a four-year-old maybe a little older i couldn't tell because uh, he was quartered away so i really didn't get a a really good shot of his body uh, but he had a, a decent rack on his head i'm gonna guess somewhere around the 150 range and that that buck was raking a tree right so i observed his body movement i picked up my grunt call and i gave one brap. he didn't hear it so then i did a little bit longer brap, and that got his attention and he ended up kind of looking in my direction for about two minutes you know just kind of observing observing the area and then all of a sudden it was he disappeared and then I caught him again maybe at about 70 yards and he was heading right toward me so I'm just like oh my god this is gonna work run and gun first you know first episode and or first episode first night in and he's coming right towards me and then I lost him and then it was another 30 minutes and I had to I had to get out of the tree because it was you know too dark so I don't know what he did I don't know where he went um he wasn't he was interested but not interested enough you know he he came within what he thought was a very good uh distance to i guess observe where he felt the sound was coming from and then he said hey i didn't see anything so i'm out of here and that's where it ended but that gave me good hope for this new property that there is a shooter on it um now i just gotta come back in a handful of weeks and uh test it out again uh, the shitty part about all this weekend was that I had three more trail cameras stolen. I checked four trail cameras and three of them were stolen. And I have a good feeling that if I go back to check the rest of my trail cameras, there are going to be more missing. Let me put this as blunt as I can. A thief is the lowest form of scumbag on this planet. Someone who steals what is not theirs. I have permission to be on this property, and I like and love, my passion is obviously hunting. I like to run trail cameras, 
And now I have to second guess everything because for the third year in a row, I have trail cameras stolen off these properties. I have to now wait and, man, I don't know. I'm just getting frustrated talking about it because I have to now call a sheriff. I got to work with the other landowners. I have to, you know, do all these other things aside from hunting and it just really sucks because that's hard-earned cash that's down the drain now i know what you're thinking uh you know don't doesn't exodus give you some free stuff yeah they give me some free stuff but at the same time i had some other stuff that i had to pay for that went missing too and i have this in the back of my head now that these guys are on on this property stealing my shit and it's really pissing me off. So I have to work with the landowner. I have to work with the other hunters. I knocked on several doors uh, yesterday trying to get all that stuff taken care of. You know, bring it. You know, bring some attention to it. Giving people my telephone number if you see anything suspicious. And then tomorrow, which is going to be Monday, so that's today when you're listening to this, I'm going to be calling a sheriff, and I'm going to be telling him my story, and I'm going to point out maybe a couple locations of where I think this activity is coming from, have him knock on some doors as well, and uh, just kind of let everybody know that I have permission to be there, don't mess with my stuff, and uh, that's about it. But that's a recap of this, uh, this weekend's hunt. Other than that, I tell you what, I had an absolute blast uh, being in the timber, seeing a lot of deer. Uh, it's always good when you can get out, especially to new farm, and uh, verify what is actually out there. So that was the recap of this weekend. Now, today's podcast, we're going to be talking with returning guest, my buddy, Adam Parr. Um, and he's going to talk about an elk hunt that he recently went on. And it's the elk hunt that I was supposed to go on. And I didn't go because I had uh, we were on Baby Watch 2017. Uh, and so he's going to run us through what he saw, what happened, and then um, talk a little bit about how he's going to transition into whitetail hunting in uh, Iowa, Kansas, and eastern Colorado. So it's a really good BS session. Uh, you guys, Adam Parr has been on a handful of times before. He actually might be the guest that has the most podcast appearances. So uh, Ben Harshine, I don't think you hold the belt anymore. So uh, you got if you want it, you got to take it from Adam. Other than that, guys, uh, I just want to say we got to do a commercial real quick for Ripcord Arrow Rests, uh, dude. These these Arrow Rests are badass. They are built in America. They are built by Americans, and they work very well. They're a badass rest. And uh, they're built specifically for hunters, right? And they are built to be durable, to be strong, to not fail, to work in the, that one moment that we all work for so hard every year. Uh, they're built to be successful in those moments. And uh, I know the owner, Keith, man, he's a badass as well. Um, so if you want to find out more about these kick-ass arrow rests, please go visit ripcordarrowrest.com and uh, learn more about their products, man. They got a handful of good rest and I strongly suggest them. Other than that, guys, enough of the chit chat. Let's get into today's 
I guess, Western elk hunt, whitetail planning podcast with good buddy from Colorado, Adam Parr. All right, everybody, welcome back to the podcast, and today we are joined by another returning guest who I actually think holds the title for most appearances or uh, guest spots on this podcast, my brother from another mother who lives in Colorado, Mr. Adam Parr, how are you doing today, man? Dan, what's going on, man? Uh, doing well, doing well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no worries, man. Appreciate um, it. So, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if I should be paying you or you should be paying me, but it seems uh, like I find myself on this podcast more more often than not. <laughs> well, I, number one, I like chatting with you. You make a you make a good guest, and uh, to be honest with you, I'm living vicariously through you because. You are single, you live out West and you get to, uh, you know, go chase big game in the mountains whenever you want to go chase big game. <laughs> That's exactly right. You can live through me, Dan. I, I will, uh, I will let you do that. <laughs> well, and, and the other, the other thing is, you know, I got three kids, so we're like kind of op- on the opposite side of the spectrum, right? You're you're this free bird floating in the wind, doing whatever you want, and like I'm this caged animal who, you know, <laughs> I'm I'm that I'm that uh, ape who has been in a shopping mall behind like a, a foot of glass for like uh, I don't know like 17 years, who all of a sudden snaps. That's me. <laughs> Basically like Gorilla Dan like 10 years ago when he was a free young wild man. (laughs) That's right. That's right. So, okay. For for everybody that doesn't know, uh, I had to cancel my elk hunting trip uh, because I was on Baby Watch 2017. Uh, this year and you know everybody knows I, I, I just had my baby um, two Fridays ago and I was supposed to go on this elk trip and I was supposed to go on it with Adam here and uh, I had to cancel last minute uh, because you know I thought I'd be a, a decent human being and skip out just in case you know if shit went down early I could be there for it uh, it didn't go down but Either way, I was uh, I was there for my family, and the reason you're on this podcast today because I want to know what I missed out in the mountains during the, your your annual elk trip. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Well, I remember when you uh, announced the baby. When was that? Like in the in the spring or winter or something like that? I was a little yeah. to be cutting it close. I wonder if he's actually going to be able to go. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't I don't blame you, man. You, you did the right decision. You're a you're a stand up guy. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, it it was great. It was a lot of fun, and uh, definitely dive into the details of the hunt. And yeah, for sure. Kind of get you prepped up and and uh, and inspired to to go next year. Oh, absolutely. There is nothing that will probably stand in my way uh, for heading out for that trip next year. Um, it would have to be very major, but I will not be having another kid. I'll, I'm going to put an exclamation point on the end of that <laughs> statement. Um, so, let's, the listeners, let's... you've heard this. Mark, is, Mark, Mark Dan's words. 
Yeah. No more babies. No more babies. <laughs> I'll get a tattoo on my neck that says that so everybody can see it. <laughs> no regrets. <laughs> <laughs> right across the chest. That's right. So while I'm sitting there, you know, I'm I'm watching your uh, your Instagram feed, your Facebook feed, and I'm just like, you know, you're doing some live broadcasts from the top of this mountain, and I'm just, get, you know, I'm like, oh man, I wish I was there. Um, so let's uh, let's just go into a little bit of detail about what I missed, uh, what um, what how you started everything off, what your goals were, what your plans were, because last year you harvested an elk, right? I did. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually, uh, very fortunate to kill an elk on my first year of, of elk hunting, uh, which is, which is really cool and, uh, a pretty good one at that. So I had pretty good success to start off, but, uh, this year was, <laughs> was a little different. It was, it was definitely a tough season. And I mean, I, unfortunately I didn't kill anything and we'll kind of get into the details of that, but I had so many close calls and great encounters and, it was just an awesome season. Last last year, I killed killed my elk uh, September 9th, so I really didn't get to experience the rut. They were just kind of starting. The weather was starting to cool down. The leaves were starting to change, and, and the bugles were starting to kick off. This year, I kind of got to see it all the way from beginning, uh, end of August, all the way through uh, just last weekend, um, end of September. So it's uh, it was cool to be able to see the full season um as compared to last year it was it was quite limited because i had tagged out earlier in september right right so what was your expectations going in to this season knowing that statistically you probably shouldn't have even killed last year <laughs> yeah yeah and and really because i am a, a new elk hunter in the scheme of things i my goal is just to kill any legal animal I mean, I was going to shoot a, if I, if a cow walked out, I was going to shoot it. If any legal bull, which is a four points or more on one side or a five inch brow, um, is legal in the unit I hunt, any cow or legal bull that popped out, I was going to take a shot just because I know how hard it is. And, and uh, you know, the, they say the success rates are 10% on average for archery across all units. So it's, it's, uh, it's pretty tough. I mean, so you, you got to have expectations that are realistic. When I have a few more bulls under my belt or a few more elk down uh, in the coming years, I'll, I'll definitely probably get more picky as I am with whitetails. But uh, elk's a different game, and uh, <laughs> I still I still have a ways to go. Let's put it that way. Right, right. So this year, uh, even though you know you killed a, a huge bull last year, your your goal was still any legal elk, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I just feel like any any legal elk with a bow on public land over the county unit. I mean, it's that's a trophy in my mind, yeah. or you know, it's 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 harder and well earned, right? Uh, in my mind. Okay. Yeah. So so then, you know, it started uh, coming time to you know start heading into the mountains were and you did do some additional scouting this year um in that area were the deer or excuse me were the elk in the same locations that they were the previous year had they moved uh did you have to do any additional location of the herd to uh to get into them at all yeah so what what i found from this year's scouting and and kind of the 
the season in general is that where I was at in particular, it seemed like they were about 500 to 1,000 feet higher in elevation this year, which I think partly was due to the uh, the temperature was just blazing hot here at the end of August. It was close to 90 on opening day. And uh, so I think it just had them pushed up higher to, to you know, into cooler areas. Um, typically you get higher elevation, it's going to be a few degrees colder. So that that's one thing that I noticed because last year where I killed my bull, we hunted that same meadow. I don't know, between me and my buddies and whatnot, we probably hunted that meadow, you know, close to 10 different times. Uh, maybe not that much, but uh, definitely a handful of times and we never saw a single elk in that meadow. And that was roughly about 10,000, you know, feet somewhere in there. Right. And, uh, this year it seemed like they were all like 10, five to uh, 11, um, thousand feet. So it's, that was definitely a, a change from, from last year to this year, just going up further and having to hike in further. Right. So with, with the elk being that much higher, um, did that take any additional planning or preparation? I mean, other than having to really physically work, uh, did the terrain change that higher? Were you, you know, getting close to tree line at that point? Yeah, I, I did go up to tree line a few days, but, um, it seemed like the elk sign was kind of the majority of the, the good elk sign and where I had most of my encounters were, you know, below, below tree line. But, um, but yeah, I definitely had to plan on hiking, hiking in further and kind of budgeting my time accordingly. So it means getting up earlier, uh, you know, <laughs> having to, having to walk further and, and, uh, also be, you know, in pretty good shape to be able to do that. Right. So you just kind of have to adjust, but it's not like, it's not like night and day difference, but you definitely, you definitely had to work a little harder this year. It felt like. Right. So were you from where you parked the truck every morning? Because I think we talked about it. Did you, did you stay on the mountain or did you uh, come in from town every day? I, I actually did a mix of both this year. There was a few times where we'd hike in and, th- and this was just on my week. I, I took a week off and, and hunted right. from, you know, Labor Day weekend to the following weekend. But, um, so like on the weekends, you know, opening weekend and, and the later weekends of September, I would just stay at my buddy's place and we drive. It'd take you about 45 minutes to an hour to get to the parking spot. And then we'd hike in. But, uh, there was a few, you know, three days, I think we did, uh, where we brought in tents and, and our gear and, and kind of did a, did a spike camp. And that way we were a little closer, didn't have to walk as far, but, kind of did a mix of both and and it was that was also cool too i'd done that once last year and it was it was a pretty cool experience so to get to do that again it was it was a lot of fun right so how on average how much elevation gain were you going uh on a daily you know on a daily basis i'd say on average i'd probably like 12 to 1500 feet elevation gain not not crazy i would say average you know, I'm not one of those guys that, although I can, and I've done it, um, you know, I don't, I don't put on like 12, you know, 15 miles a day, like some of these guys. And, and, um, and it's just because I know, I know the general areas where they're going to be. And I don't think you have to, um, I think a lot of people get caught up on, you know, having to go, you know, hike the, the nastiest terrain furthest back in cover all the miles. But if, if you're in good elk area and you're in, you know, areas where there's sign and, 
and it smells like a barnyard, you're, you're going to come across them and you're kind of better off hanging out and kind of checking out the immediate areas instead of just leaving that area altogether. If you don't see something, you know what I mean? So, um, I, I think, I think I cover average of like five to eight miles would be realistic average for me for sure. So is that when you say you're covering five miles, is that just like a big circle around a general area, you know, starting in the morning, working your way around or because when I went uh, elk hunting, uh, my first trip, we would go out for like two or three hours in the morning, you know, hike up, do our thing and then hike back down to camp, spend the most of the day at camp and then go out for three, four hours for an evening, uh, hunt as well. Um, what was, what was your typical day like? Kind of a mix of both. Um, it seemed like earlier, earlier in the season, we spent more, mainly in the mornings and the evenings. I mean, the midday is kind of tough because it's, it's pretty hot. And, uh, I think that's why the movement like opening weekend, I didn't see anything just cause it was so hot. And, uh, although the sign was there, I just think they were moving maybe at night or, or right before dusk, uh, or very early mornings. But, um, but yeah, it seems like as the season goes on, just kind of like the rut with, with whitetail. I mean, it's, it's not out of the question for me to sit all day in a tree stand or, you know, stay out the whole day when, when, you know, the movement is good or potentially good due to the rut. So I found myself like midway through the season, I would just stay out the whole day, especially the last couple of weekends we spent the whole day out there and didn't come back. Right. Um, so it just kind of depends. Right. So were the elk in the same, other than, you know, uh, 500 to a thousand feet higher in elevation, were they in the same general area this year or were they, you know, one Canyon over or, or one, uh, ridgeline over? No, they were definitely in the same, same general areas where we found them last year. Um, so that was nice to see. Although from, from hunting this year, kind of the full season through, as I mentioned, I, I killed my bull September 9th last year. So I didn't really get into the rut. I found that as the season progressed, the sightings kind of the, the elk numbers, I guess I should say kind of declined. And I think that's just because there's not, it's not a known like cow area where the cows are hanging out. Gotcha. Uh, so, and that's just, you know, for me learning the area, I'm still all new to this, but, um, what I found is that the, this was the area I was kind of concentrating in was more of a, a bachelor group. Um, you know, a lot of bulls hanging out in there, a lot of, uh, travel corridor for the, for the bulls, but the cows, um, you know, very few, at least in this one spot, I, I didn't see too much cow activity, which I think is why it kind of declined a little bit as it got into the rut, but you know, that's, you, you learn it and, uh, you know, it takes a few years to figure these things out. Right. Absolutely. Now, when, as the area started thinning out and there was less elk in this area, did you then change your strategy to go find where the cows were? I mean, where were these, where were these bachelor group of bulls going when you were, um, you know, when, as the season started getting closer to the rut? Well, that's a good question. I wish I wish I knew exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, probably, I probably would have killed it out. No, um, you know, I think they're just. I think they're just moving down to lower elevations. I mean, that's really all I can really pinpoint it to right now. Um, obviously, the hunting pressure becomes a little bit more, more intense. I mean, you got the muzzleloader season, and 
and um, I don't know if that had something to do with it, but, um, you know, there's just certain areas like, um, you know, I think you've mentioned this on your, your, your properties with your trail cameras. I mean, you got bucks all summer long, but when it comes closer to season or when they shed velvet, they'll just move to a different area. Um, yeah. So there's definitely different ranges and uh, it's no different with elk as I'm starting to kind of figure out, but hopefully I'll, I'll be able to figure out. I, I mean, there, there are different areas where I have tried out before and I did see some, some more cows in that area um, this year. But uh, based on where we were hunting and kind of the access we had, uh, we kind of were limited to certain areas, I guess. So um, that that also played a factor into it. Gotcha. So because you were able to hunt a little bit more of the season and watch that transition from, I guess, like a, a pre-rut, early season pre-rut to the rut, um, what did you learn or notice about elk behavior in that period of time? Um, well, I, I, it's, it's much like a whitetail and, and in the fact of early season, it seems like they'll, they'll kind of bed and then they'll come out to feed, uh, you know, early in the morning and, and late at night. Um, so, that's kind of like how the early season went. There's not a lot of bugling, although I did hear a bugle on opening day. It was just way too far off in the distance for me to go after that late in the evening. But, um, you know, really they're just kind of on that bed to feed and they're not really running yet. And, and so if you can kind of find a high meadow or an area, you know, they might be traveling through, um, you know, you can, you can get a beat on them and, and kind of do more of an ambush scenario kind of set up along a trail or a, or, or a known corridor or you know somewhere where you can potentially put a spot a spot and stock on something but as the season progresses it's, it's kind of more you get a little bit more of the sporadic movement um patterns change all bets are off as far as you know patterns and predictability and uh much like again whitetails so um there's a lot of similarities but there's there's also some differences as well this is like a random question. What are the what are the elk eating when they're going to their food sources? Really, it's just grasses. And uh, in the year, I don't know if they eat any like leaves or anything, but it seems like where they're at in the summer. I mean, really, that's all that's all there is available to eat. Because I mean, there's there's not at least where I'm at. There's not a lot of aspen trees or you know, actually foliage that in that regard, it's all just dark timber and, and spruce trees and, and conifers. So <laughs> you're basically limited to, to grass and, uh, you know, weeds and stuff along openings and meadows and, and, uh, you know, creeks and water sources if you can find it. Okay. So that's usually a good spot to set up. So you can find those cuts and, and meadows and, and, uh, you know, that's, that's where they're going to be, which is where right. I found them. Right. Right. So then, Accessing these locations, um, and obviously, from my understanding, there's two times a day, right? There's wind goes up the mountain, and then there's wind goes down the mountain. Um, uh, how how much yep. did your strategy this year uh, depend on those, those rising and uh, lowering thermals? Yeah, so the the thermals definitely are a, a huge factor when it comes to elk hunting. You kind of got that, yeah, like you said, the early morning the thermals are coming down the mountain. Usually, um, you know, if there's a front or 
uh, weather kind of moving in or a storm, all kind of bets are off uh, and you'll get a lot of swirling. Uh, but yeah, pretty much in the morning they're coming down and then, and then an hour, you know, a couple hours after first light, you know, nine, 10 o'clock, they'll start switching back up the mountain and, you know, your wind will be, be going up. Same thing at night, the, uh, the wind's going up in the early afternoon. And then as it gets closer to evening, last hour, hour and a half, it's going to switch and come back down. Now I hear, I hear a lot of guys talk about like they want to be above the elk in the morning and so but i've never really maybe some other guys know the logic behind this but never really understood that because if you're above them the thermals are usually coming down and you might blow something out i guess it all depends on you know the situation and in your setup and in uh, proximity to where you think they're going to be but i actually like to kind of get below the elk in the morning and uh you know, so I, I kind of figured out where they were betting and, and where they were at. So I, I would actually approach and get my strategy would be to kind of get below the bedding area in right at first light that I would. So I would get as close as possible without actually going into it and then wait for light to come. And then I would, you know, rip off a bugle or just kind of slowly start working through and see if I can pick something off or work towards these meadows. Yeah. And that way the wind was always in my favor. Um, that was kind of my strategy to start. And it, it worked out really well in a couple of situations, but I also hear other guys starting like above the elk and then they'll, then they'll move down. But, um, sometimes that doesn't always work and you you could be blowing them out in that regard. Right. Right. So did you, and, and let's go back to that week that I was supposed to be out there. Right. I think that was the, the yeah. week of labor day. So like the very first full week of September, um, what yeah. um what were the elk doing that week so the first part of the week started off pretty slow and i actually i actually took i got my buddy sam into bow hunting this year and he took hunter safety so i was taking him with me a lot and we also took some other guys that had never hunted before and, and just kind of introduced them to it and, and that was pretty cool um but you know, I, I probably didn't hunt as hard as, <laughs> as I normally would. I always say like when I'm by myself, I'm just kind of not worrying about anything. I'm not worried about anybody else or what they're doing. I'm just kind of hunting, you know, but yeah. when you have another person with you that you're introducing and, and, um, you know, you definitely kind of do things a little bit differently, but, um, really the, what I found was that they were really just on that bed to feed uh, on that week. And, uh, it was it was still pretty hot. I mean, it was definitely getting to, into the 80s during the day. So yeah. um, I didn't do a whole lot of midday hunting. I mean, although I kind of I kind of moved around a little bit, but um, you know, my my strategy was just to get close to the bedding in the morning and and try to get out of them and and uh, you know in the evenings kind of sit sit on a meadow and uh, you know, but I had good encounters and and. Uh, actually missed a bull that week and, and, uh, almost, and I had a one bedded at 35 yards and I couldn't kill a six by six. Uh, it's just the way the cards fell that day, but, um, so walk us through, yeah, walk, it was, us it through was an awesome week. walk us through, yeah. uh, you had, was it the same bull or was it two different bulls? Two different bulls. So the first scenario, again, I was hunting by myself this day. So I, uh, basically that same, that same scenario I just played out, get as close as close to the bedding area as possible. 
and uh, get below them with the thermals in your favor. And so I did that, and at first light, I actually heard a bugle, and it sounded pretty close. And uh, where that bugle came from, it was kind of like a high meadow up, you know, close to 11,000 feet. Basically, it's a creek drainage that comes down through, and, and there's grass there, and there's dark timber, and it's basically food cover, bedding, all that stuff right in one little spot, water. And that's why they're hanging out there. So I kept kind of following the, the bugling and I, I got down to the drainage where I could kind of see a little bit further. And I ripped off a bugle and uh, immediately a, a couple bulls popped out, you know, like 400 yards up the, the ravine. I was like, sweet, you know? So um, I basically tried calling them down to me and, but they just weren't, they weren't in the rut yet. So it's still, still early season. So after kind of waiting them out for like 30 minutes, didn't really happen other than a cow came through. I couldn't shoot her. She came through at like 75 yards. But basically those those bulls were just kind of up in that upper meadow, and I wanted to get up to them. So I made a decision. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stalk in on them. So I, uh, I worked up the drainage, and the winds, again, in or the thermals are in my favor. They can't smell me. And, and uh, I get up within 100 yards to where that bull was at. And, uh, him and the other bull decide that, you know, it's time to stop feeding and, and, uh, they go into the woods. I'm like, damn, um, I had just about made it to where I could, you know, I was getting into the zone where, you know, potentially I could get a shot, but basically they worked off, uh, to bed quicker than, than, um, you know, than I could get up there. So I come up out of the creek bed and try to cut them off and they're walking through the woods and I'm trying to call on them, but again, they're not responding to calls or anything so i just kind of let them walk through and they walked through like 50 yards and i couldn't get a shot so i just let them go i didn't try to like force it or you know run after them i just let them calm down for or not calm down but just i I figured they were they were going to bed and uh so after waiting there for about 30 minutes i uh just slowly start creeping through the woods as, as slow as possible and i come up over this little rise about you know 75 yards in and i see a ear flicker down below me and uh and that six by six bull was bedded there and uh so at that point though it was late in the morning this was like 11 o'clock and the winds were kind of switching and starting to swirl and i was like man i can't believe i can't believe he hasn't busted me yet but um you know i'm gonna try to just kill him right there in his bed so i was waiting him out and i'm trying to trying to go left and it's there's like the thermals are swirling but there's not a lot of wind noise you know so i couldn't uh i couldn't end up getting a shot uh long story short the uh the wind swirled and and he got my wind and (laughs) he blew out of there but basically i was standing over him at like 35 yards and i couldn't shoot him and i was afraid to make a move just because there was uh (laughs) bushes or uh trees in the way yeah yeah i mean i I could have forced something. Some of those things was like, yeah, I could have, I could try it, but there's like little limbs and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, there's too big animals to kind of mess around with that. Yeah. So I wanted, so, I wanted like a perfect clean, you know, good shot. And I just didn't get it before the wind swirled. Right. Okay. So if you were to do that over again, that little scenario over again, uh, what would you do differently? Would you be more aggressive? Knowing that the winds were going to switch, which is why I kind of ultimately 
made the uh, made the attempt to do the spot and stock in the first place. But I should have done is went after him sooner. Like I, I waited around too long. You know what I mean? Like I I, I kind of contemplated: Am I going to get him to call down? Am I going to get them to come down to me, or should I go to them? And I kept throwing that back and forth in my mind for like 30 minutes while they just sat out there in the meadow when I could have just made the decision right then to just go up and, and get after them. And I probably could have killed them right there in the meadow without them, you know, um, you know, going to bed. And by that time it's late in the morning and the, the thermals are starting to kind of get funky. It's kind of, it was kind of that in between time, right between like, you know, thermals coming down the mountain to then switching, going back up. So it was just bad timing altogether, and I should have just kind of went for it right right off the get go. Right, right. Could have changed the outcome. Right. For sure. So after that yeah. happened, uh, any other between between that encounter and the encounter where you missed, were there any other close calls or encounters that you had? Um. Yeah. Later in the season. Yeah, I I drew my bow back four times this year on both. <laughs> So the, the the encounters were definitely there. It, it was it was a hell of a season for sure. And uh, but yeah, I just I don't know. I couldn't so close, Dan. I couldn't close. You're man. not a closer. I, you're not a. I'm not a you're closer. not a closer, man. But I, don't I mean, know it what sounds I'm to, doing now. <laughs> it sounds to me like you were in the elk, though, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's the thing. I mean, I've talked to guys before that they're lucky to even see an elk the entire week. Yeah. Let alone you know, draw your back, uh, draw your bow back on four different bulls. So, um, you know, I feel, I feel good about that. And again, I I put it in perspective. Yeah. I'm I'm bummed. I didn't get anything. And, you know, I I look at it as, or some may look at it as an unsuccessful season, but in my eyes, man, I had a, it was a hell of a year. I mean, I had so many close calls. I mean, I had the last weekend, I had a bull at 10 yards. Um, that was, that was kind of a weird scenario, but basically I was just kind of creeping through the woods and it's so, so thick in the dark timber. I, I saw him at 20 yards and he was walking right at me. So <laughs> by the time I got an arrow knocked and my release on the trigger, he was 10 yards from me, like right above me and same thing. Like he got too close and the wind was blowing the wrong way. And if I would have just had five more seconds, I could have killed that bull, you know, to be drawn back and he would have just walked in and I would have killed him uh chip shot you know so there's just yeah. there's just so many little things that have to go right especially with elk hunting that uh you know makes it makes it really tough but again i had a great year and and can't wait to get back to it next year yeah absolutely now um did you do any calling and, and do you feel that your calling has improved uh, were you i mean were you getting bull elk to respond to you Oh yeah. Yeah. With the, with the bugles, um, it just kind of depends on the mood that they're in. You can kind of tell that you can kind of tell the difference between like, Hey, I'm over here, like locating bugle and Hey, I want to, you know, I'm ready to fight sort of bugle or like, here's my, my rut bugle. Um, but, uh, yeah, definitely that the the cow calling, I definitely got some response to as well. Uh, especially with other uh, cows, and uh, you kind of do different mews and, and whatnot. But um, I never had that, like, kind of golden scenario or dream of, like, bugling in a bull and, and, you know, he comes in all fired up and, and you kill him. 
Um, but, uh, but you know, maybe I will next year and, yeah. uh, and get to experience that. My buddy actually killed, killed a good, really nice bull out in Colorado. Uh, he had that same scenario. He, he bugled one in and, and, uh, <laughs> he killed him at like 35 yards. It's a sweet bull. Right. So were you then at that point, uh, calling just for, just to locate them or calling to try to pull in a cow or a, a bull? Uh, really to, to locate, um, you know, I, I had, I had a couple bulls come in silent, you know, you, you kind of expect like, all right, it's the rut and I'm going to bugle and I'm going to hear one fire off and I'm going to be able to go after him. Well, sometimes that's the case, but I found a lot this year. I had, um, a couple bulls come in on me completely silent and never made a sound, but they'll just show up and, for as big an animals as they are, <laughs> those things are ghosts walking through the woods. They do not make a peep. Um, they do not break a stick. When they want to be silent and stealthy, they will come in and surprise you. Um, I had that happen a couple times. So that's, that's one thing I kind of took away from this year. When, when you call or rip off a bugle or whatever, you've got to be ready. And you've got to be on the lookout, head on a swivel, because you don't know which way they're going to come from. And, you know, a lot of times they'd catch me, I'd, I'd, I'd have them at like 20, 30 yards. Uh, and it's like, get here. I didn't even, <laughs> didn't hear you. I didn't see you. It's just, they just show up. It's, it's wild. Right. So as the rut kind of, I mean, as the rut started happening, did you ever have a day where it was just like television show type bugles where you're sitting on the mountain and it, they're just ripping them left and right? So yeah, there was, there was my, my buddy, um, Sam, he, he and I were kind of hunting in, in different areas, same, same general vicinity, but different kind of, um, drainages of the mountain. And he got into like four bulls screaming around him. And, uh, so I ended up getting over closer to where he was at and I was kind of listening to it all go down. I was still far off in the distance, but I didn't actually have that scenario where I had multiple bulls like ripping off, um, asking for it to each other and, and, uh, doing all that. But, uh, my buddy did. And, uh, basically what happened is there was a hot cow in, in the area. And when, when there's a hot cow, you know, that bull's fired up, the herd bull's fired up and then he's bugling. So then you're going to attract a bunch of different satellite bulls to come in. And he was literally surrounded by these bulls. And, uh, it's the same scenario, just super thick and, you know, could, couldn't get a shot off, but, uh, that's what you dream of. And for him, uh, my buddy Sam to have that on his first year elk hunting, that's, that's what, that's what it's all about at the end of the day. Absolutely. Now it sounds to me like you're hunting in some really thick and nasty stuff. Is glassing an option from where you're at or not really? Um, for the most part, no, but there are certain, there's certain little pockets and, and again, like, you know, I would find these meadows and they would just be tore up with sun and just reeked of elk. You know, it's like, I, it's like I missed them like just minutes before, or, you know, they were there hours before, but, um, some guys will just keep on, you know, if they don't see something, they're going to keep on putting the miles on. Um, and, and, and just go explore different areas. Well, I'm, I'm kind of a believer that 
if you find that hot sign and it looks like they were just there within the last day or so, or, you know, hours, I'm going to wait that out. So a lot of, a lot of scenarios, I would, I would get to a meadow and then I would try to glass, um, as far as I can, but we're not talking very far. You're talking like 400 yards max, maybe 600. Um, it's not like the terrain. I think I saw some pictures from your Idaho hunt where you can glass, you know, quite a ways off and overlook a lot of open country where I'm at. It's, it's very limited, but you do, you do have pockets, uh, that you can get into and, and, and sit behind the glass for a bit. Right. Right. All right. So then, so then, uh, let's walk me through the encounter that you had where you ended up missing and what, what happened with that one? So, uh, yeah, so this is a different area and, uh, basically I kind of take, go up this, uh, I use a Creek drainage to, to enter this area because it's where this area is. It's just nasty downfall timber everywhere. You're just climbing over, uh, trees. You're, you're going up steep terrain. Uh, it's just, it's a bear to get back there literally. And, uh, so I, I use this, this Creek to, to get up there and, and it's a spot that I had found last year just from kind of, kind of hunting and scouting. Basically I call it avalanche Bay cause it's too old. Uh, basically where an avalanche came through like 20 years ago and, uh, basically wiped out a couple swaths of, uh, dark timber. So it basically cut it all down to grass and, and then now all these younger, uh, spruce trees have grown back up. So it's like, cover mixed with all this grass so you've got food and then there's water up there and it's just and then it's surrounded by dark timber so it's like mecca for elk it's like what you what you want it's what you look for and uh so anyways i got below that in the morning and uh kind of started out um you know in the bedding area and i actually got too too far in and ended up bumping uh what i think is a bull it was right before first light and he runs off and I'm like, damn, you know, I should have just kind of held back a little bit more and, and worked my way in after first light, but I got in too tight, and blew him out of there. And then shortly after that, I heard a bunch of cows come through, but it was still like just getting light and I couldn't, couldn't see anything. And, uh, so they move off, didn't see anything. So I keep working my way up and, and I get to the, those cuts, the, the, the avalanche meadows and I, I see some cows off distance. And I'm like, cool, you know, they're here. And as I go through those meadows, it's just loaded with sign. There's a wallow in there. It looked like it had just been ripped to shreds. I mean, there was grass, you know, all around the edges, mud. The water was turned up. It's like I just missed them. And uh, I keep kind of working up through those cuts, just going real slow and, and didn't see anything the rest of the morning. And I was like, man, I thought for sure I would have seen something. But uh, Basically, I spent the late morning and early afternoon kind of way up to tree line. I went up to tree line just because I was like, yeah, I want to check this out and be on top of the world for a little bit. And uh, I just kind of chilled out up there. But then I was like, well, I'm going to come back down and, and watch over those meadows because that sign was just too good to, to leave alone for the day. So I kind of just took a nap and just kind of hung out. This was about 2 o'clock, 2.30. Kind of took a lunch and just kind of relaxed overlooking those meadows and about three o'clock I kind of hear some cows mewing below me and I get out the glass and I'm like oh yeah here we go there's there's some cows down there so I get my bag and and uh 
you know, that's the toughest thing, just finding them. And uh, so once I had a beat on them, I'm like, I'm going to go down there. This is the last day of the week hunt. So I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to, why not? And uh, so I go down there and I work my way in and sneak, sneak my way in to 25 yards of, of one of the cows. And uh, I'm getting kind of all ready to, to shoot and whatever and range them. And, and I look over and like 75 yards away is a big, big bull not as big as the one i shot last year but probably like a 270 bull real nice six by six and i'm like well <laughs> i've got to shoot him you know like i've got to <laughs> i've got to at yeah. least try for him i'm not i'm not gonna shoot a cow in front of me if i if i see him over there so uh so the cows there's like eight cows in this group and they're all mewing it's real cool i feel like i'm I feel like i'm part of the herd uh, i've never experienced like cows just chattering back and forth but they're loud man they talk a lot it's really neat to see so i'm just kind of waiting there and i'm i've got the wind right nothing spooked i'm just waiting him out see what he's gonna do and so after about 10 minutes he kind of you know finishes feeding up and then he starts rounding up the cows and uh he starts kind of starting to push them away he comes towards me and then he starts pushing them away so i range him at like 48 yards and uh as I'm doing that and I'm let my range finder down, I notice one of the lead cows, she had busted me. So I'm like, Oh crap. Um, you know, she's got me pinned. So at that point I moved my dial and I got to take a few steps up cause the bull had moved. And so she's watching me the whole time and I'm just thinking to myself, they're going to bolt in any second or she's going to bolt. And then there goes the hunt. So I hurry up, adjust my pin draw back thought i had it settled and just messed right over his back and uh at, seven, at 70 <laughs> yards no it was 50, 50 oh 50 okay okay all right so i mean it, it was far but it's still something i should have you know that's, that's something i should have uh you know should have put in the boiler room but what i did wrong was i just I rushed it. That's, that's yeah. all. I, I, I thought I was living on borrowed time there and uh, any second those cows are going to be gone. So I just kind of pulled back and, you know, once that pin was on it, I let it go. I should have taken a couple extra seconds and you know, really settled the pin and anchored. And, and I just didn't rookie, rookie mistake. <laughs> Rook, rookie mistake. But, no, yeah, you're yeah. not a rookie anymore though. Last year was your rookie year. You had an outstanding rookie year. Now you're, <laughs> now you're just overpaid. Now I'm making excuses. Yeah, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just overpaid. <laughs> so no, geez, it was it was cool. I mean, so what was, happened? Really what cool what that what that elk do after you uh, missed him? Did he just blow out of there, or did you have another chance at him at all? Well, they they blew out of there. Yeah, and and, and had that cow not have busted me, I think you know if, if something happens where you know, you launch an arrow in there and miss and there wasn't anything like alerted prior to that. You probably could get another shot off, yeah. but with that cow already having a beat on me, um, you know, it was, the gig was up. So they, they all just bolted out of there and, and, uh, it started to rain and it was, just <laughs> my heart sank and I was depressed and you know, all that, <laughs> you went, all that stuff. <laughs> you went and pouted for a little while. Yeah, yeah, I had to have a little me time, you know, re <laughs> recoup a little bit. 
Well, but no, so, it, was, it was really cool. So you ended your, I mean, is there any more time to archery elk hunt this year or is it done? No, it ended last, last weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I had, I had another bull at like 20, 20 yards and he stopped just past my shooting lane and couldn't get a shot on him either. So it was just, it's just one of those years, man. You're going to have that. That's funny. You know, and it's, you know, I think about next year and it's, it's not getting an elk this year, I think is, is it's already motivated me to, to work harder next year and, and maybe practice more and, and, and go through those scenarios in my head. And, and, and as you gain more experience on the ground, hunting is, is tough. I mean, whether it's elk or deer, um, you know, just being on the ground is different for me compared to where I grew up hunting from a tree stand. So that's having it all take place, you know, in your face on the ground with these animals is, is a completely different ball game. So I, I, I think it's just going to be a, you know, something that's going to motivate me for next year and, and, uh, can't wait to do it again. So, but uh, season's all over for this year. Gotcha. So takeaway, right? So next year I'm going to be out there. What's, uh, what's one thing, uh, that you've learned this year that you, that you want to implement next year? Man, I think just in general, just be alert at all times. I mean, I kind of kind of hit on it earlier, but if you rip off a bugle and nothing answers, it doesn't mean that something's not coming to the call. Um, and we got caught with our pants down a couple times in, in that regard. So um, just because you're not seeing them doesn't mean it's not gonna you're not gonna see one in you know five minutes. Uh, they can just be anywhere. So I think just going with that mindset. If you are in a calling setup or wherever you just need to be alert and ready for a shot at all times, kind of getting the right. And, and also if you are going to do a calling setup, put yourself in the right scenario to have a shot opportunity. Don't just get to the thickest stuff and then call and then not have a shot. Um, you kind of want to plan out and pick your spots. So, um, you know, just be alert, stay on top of the game. And it can happen at 12 in the afternoon. It can happen at first light. And that's really the way you have to approach it. Cause they're hard to find right? for sure. But I was just planning on being your personal guide and I'm going to bring oh. my bow out. So, oh. um, <laughs> that's, well, Hey, you know what? I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> Cause apparently I can't, I can find them and get the shot opportunity, but I can't kill them. So well. I'm going to find them for you, Dan. And then oh. you're going to shoot them. How's well, that sound? Thank you. That, that sounds awesome. <laughs> However, you might need to be like bringing a wheelchair up there because uh, <laughs> I'm, I'll be huffing and puffing, especially at 11,000. Hey, maybe we'll find somebody with a helicopter or something. And we can just get airlifted <laughs> in and out. Do they make drones big enough to carry 250 pounds? I don't know. Amazon's coming out with some pretty innovative stuff like package <laughs> delivery. So in the next year, maybe. You never know. Yeah, my luck, I it would drop me down, you know, a, a five thousand foot cliff. <laughs> oh man! Well, but, we'll get uh, we'll get some players in case we gotta, you know, call for help. <laughs> yeah, then light a forest on fire. <laughs> so, all oh, right, man. So, okay, just because elk season's over doesn't mean your season's over, right? Now you're going to transition to whitetails, right? Exactly. Yep. On to, on to the whitetails. All right. So, sure. 
So I think the last time we talked, you have expre- you expressed interest in, let's see, Eastern Colorado, Nebraska, not Nebraska, excuse me, Kansas, and then um, you did draw your Iowa tag this year. Uh, so why don't you walk us through what your whitetail season is going to look like this year? Yeah, so um, I was planning on already kind of doing some hunts here at the end of the month. And, uh, so, but I've kind of taken on some different projects around the house and doing some remodeling. So I got to finish that up before I head to Iowa. So I don't know if I'm going to get to Kansas before I get to Iowa, but, um, I'm planning on me and my buddy, Joey, we're planning on hunting Iowa. I think it's the week of November 4th through the 12th, whatever that first week is, uh, that first Saturday to the, to the following Saturday. So as of right now, that's probably going to be my first hunt for whitetail. And um, so, yeah, that's the plan. We're going to go out there. We're going to hunt public land there and uh, do a little bit of ground, do a little bit of tree stand and uh, hunt that. And then after that will be Kansas. And then, uh, you know, if I tag out in Kansas, uh, perhaps I'll I'll hunt eastern Colorado. So I've kind of got a full plate and I wish I had a little bit more time, but it's funny how life gets in the way, you know? Right. So you're you're (laughs) not going to, you're not going to plan on hunting any in October. What are you going to do in October? Uh, well, I might, it, it might be the last, last weekend in October. Um, again, I just have some projects to kind of finish up, tighten up some loose ends before I leave for my Iowa hunt. So depending on how those go and when I get those done, I'll be able to to bust out to kansas i would like to for sure it's kind of break the ice right. for the year because it'd be nice not to show up to iowa without you know seeing a deer yet for the year so i i would i would love to go out to kansas because i started really kind of hunting kansas hard in 2015 that last week of october and i had some great encounters and and really good deer movement out there so i if i can get out there i i'm certainly going to um, and yeah. it's a plan right now. That's, uh, I totally plan on hunting end of October, but uh, if not, um, you know, I'll have to be after Iowa. Right. So I, and you know, that's all, that's a long haul from where you're currently living to where you're going to hunt in Iowa. What's the drive time? Is that like a 10, 11 hours? Uh, yeah, I think it's, well, I think it's a little bit longer than that. I think it's like 13, okay. something like that. Okay. Uh, not terrible, but I'll try to leave. I might leave like Friday after work and drive till midnight or something and then do the rest of the drive the next day. And, right. and hopefully I'll get there like, you know, afternoon or something. And my buddy Joey, he's, he's got about an eight hour drive from Michigan. So we'll, we'll meet up in the afternoon and then maybe do some scouting and, and then, and do, you know, kind of a full day of scouting the next day. Right. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's the plan so far. Cool. Uh, so you've budgeted really a week to go out and, uh, hunt Iowa, um, with, is that just kind of how it happened or do you see yourself kind of shifting things around depending on the movement to spending some more time in Iowa, just because that, you know, that tag is, isn't easy to get. Yeah, I know. Um, so I, so as of right now, we're going to do the fourth or 12th or whatever that, that first full week is. 
And if I don't tag out, then I'll probably make plans to, to go back at least maybe for, you know, a half a week, uh, depending on my schedule or whatever. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's going to be, I, I do have some flexibility and I think Joey does as well. So if for some reason, maybe the weather just looks like blazing hot for that week, maybe I'll, maybe we'll push it back to the following week, you know? So, so I do have some flexibility in that regard, but, um, you know, I'm really hoping to, <laughs> I'm really hoping to get it done on the first day. That's that's what I always plan for, right? That's what everyone wants. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I tell you what, man, uh not only I know it's a, a year away basically, but not only am I excited to get out to Colorado and uh chase some elk again, but uh you know, I just love the mountains, period. Uh I know Ryan, uh he couldn't make it out this year too because of his knee. I think he had he ended up having knee surgery, so he'll be rehabbed out by then. And then uh, um, us two flatlanders will come up to Idaho, and you'll basically go, "Why the hell did I invite these guys?" Because <laughs> we'll be like five hundred yards behind you at all time. <laughs> hey man, I'm I'm huffing and puffing too. It's uh, it's not easy, but I will say, you know, where we hunt, it's not the flattest part of the mountain that's for sure so anything you can <laughs> anything you can do to prepare is, is going to pay dividends later on and uh right. but it's it's amazing how qu- how quick you you do get acclimated to it though i mean the first couple of days are pretty rough but um you know your body your body reacts and and uh you know you keep going but yeah it'll be it'll be a lot of fun man well, cool on top of that man uh good luck after the you know what i might do and I, this is just kind of a, uh, this is a maybe, um, because there's a chance I'm actually going to be, uh, hunting a farm, um, close to where you're going to be at. Maybe we could get together for a rut podcast, uh, for, for like a long week, uh, one of those weekends, uh, where that you're going to be there. And then, uh, uh, we'll meet back up and we can do, uh, either, either a rut report or a seasoning ending podcast. What do you think about that? Yeah, that sounds great. I mean, uh, yeah, it'd be great to meet up in Iowa and we can we can see uh, see what's going on. You know, it's always good to know what you're seeing, what I'm seeing, and what the movement is. So that'd be, that'd be cool. But yeah, if not, um, you know, I got three white tail tags in my pocket. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully I can fill at least one of them. You know, jeez, if I don't if I don't get something, it'll be a, it'll be a tough year. But uh, you know, I got a couple of the best states probably for white tails uh in my pocket this year so it, it should be uh an interesting season and and uh i'm expecting some good things so Absolutely. so yeah hopefully uh hopefully we'll be celebrating successes on both parts um so yeah good luck to you this fall as well all right well hey man thanks again and uh good luck yeah thanks dan we'll talk at you later and there you have it hopefully you liked that podcast. I love doing them. Uh, we got some big things coming down the pipe, guys. Uh, I mentioned this uh, later this month, early November. It's going to happen, and I cannot wait to start telling you guys about it. Uh, just keep an eye out. It's going to be the reason why I am bringing all these other podcasts onto this RSS feed. Um I think you're going to like it. It's going to be cool. I'm excited about it. I know the other guys uh, like the Land and Legacy podcast, the um, uh, 
DIY Sportsman's podcast is going to, uh, you know, they're happy as well uh, that uh, all this is, they're excited. You know, I got mumble mouth right now, but we're all excited. And, uh, you know, we also have another podcast that's going to be joining the ranks. Uh, and I'm not going to make that announcement route right now, although I probably should, but, uh, go check out the Facebook page. I've already made that announcement there. Um, if you like this, please go to iTunes, leave a review. And, uh, if you check me out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, nine finger Chronicles, all that stuff. And, uh, like I said, more information to come huge shout out to all the partners of the podcast, ripcord arrow rest, deer lab, bighorn outfitters, Exodus trail cameras, who else who else lone wolf hunting products ozonics gearhead bows wasp archery and uh also be able to or be sure to check out all the discounts that go along with those uh, uh partners as well it can save you some money other than that guys thank you very much i think that's it I always like to prolong the endings or the intros, like lengthen them longer than I probably should. Have a great rest of your week. And remember, if you're going to be in a tree, wear your damn safety harness.